everybody and welcome back to BYOB, that is Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. The sun is out, yes I have a floral shirt on, it's oh. me, Jack Hussey and I'm joined as ever by my, I don't know, you, the, 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 the ray to my Ken, Mr Ben Haynes. <laughs> yes. Do How you know, are you doing mate? Yeah, really good. You said Ken there and my brain instantly went to Barbie. Have you seen the Barbie trailer? <laughs> I, 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 look, low key mate. I am pumped about that film. I'm so gassed. I'm Mate, so gassed. Greta Gerwig is like one of the finest directors of our generation, I swear. Like, it's going to be good. It's going to be re- good. I really like as well. They've sort of, they've kind of said that it's going to go in directions that, that they've been allowed to go in directions that I didn't think they were going to be allowed to go in, which makes me very, very excited, you know? Do you, uh, just saying, right, just ever the cynic, look, hear me out, right? I did say I was the Ken in this equation, right? Do you think that, though, is a bit like when two boxers square up to each other before a big pay-per-view fight? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when they're saying, we're going to do stuff here, we're going to really push it to a place that you wouldn't yeah, imagine. Yeah, watch this. I'm always a bit like, really, though? Are you, like, are you really? You know? Yeah, I, I always panic. I always panic when that sort of thing gets kind of said. I'm sorry, I'm farting around with my camera. Like, this is so unprofessional. People I, I thought you were just YouTube. literally saying, I'm farting. I was like, well, you know. <laughs> just, just got a serious Fine. case of wind. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm uh, messing around with my camera. There we go. It's finally fixed. Um, yeah, I always panic when you get people say that because they're like, oh, you'll never believe how good this is going to be. And then you, you find out that it wasn't as good as you thought it was mm. going to be or believed it was going to be. But... Having said it's a bit like trade. when I bigged up Guardians of the Galaxy to you, isn't it? And you were like, "Man, mate." Yeah, but what, I what are you on Guardians about? of the Galaxy was interesting <laughs> because I am. I think I've this week I've done like you know when you sort of have a experience at the cinema and you're you look back at it and you're like, "Okay, what what am I missing here?" And mm. what I've seen this week, I've done loads of kind of looking into this, and so many people that are. Um, that have loved Guardians of the Galaxy have said it was like the perfect way to end it. Mm. And that says to me that those people are incredibly invested in Guardians of the Galaxy as a as a proposition. Yeah. And I, I then kind of like looked at a couple of clips back and I was like, there is a lot of layered stuff in Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a lot of little throwbacks and callbacks mm. that maybe I... That, that I that would have gone over my head because I haven't watched them as in depth and I'm not as closely connected to them perhaps. Maybe I do. Yeah, I, I've I've always kind of liked those. Look, we don't really need to talk about this again, but just as we're here, I've always kind of liked those films because I like them visually. I guess I think the humour is yeah. usually quite good. Yeah. My big take. Here we go. Big takes already. My big take on a lot of Marvel things is I feel that sometimes the emotional element of them is a little paint by numbers. I never really yeah. feel that kind of. Like I'm that in love with the characters or that invested in them. To, to, you know, to what Scorsese said, there's not a lot of peril there. And I do agree Le- with him on yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's one that we can potentially chuck to the audience. Ooh. Like, is there a single character that you are emotionally connected to? That, And I know we'll get a lot of people probably coming back from... Um, what was the last Avengers film? Endgame. Endgame. They'll probably... We'll get, probably get a call back to to that won't we but i don't think there is a huge amount of peril i don't i'm in terms of the marvel films I, i'm not you i'm not 
I think we've said this on the pod before, but you're not going to find me kind of standing doing the stand innovation when a character comes comes out of nowhere. I, I watched, I went to go and see the Spider Man film where all the Spider Men came out, and I was like, oh, that's really nice. But that was because I, for me, Spider Man was Tobey Maguire. Yeah, yeah, you know. And that was that's kind of that was the thing that stirred something. Sam Raimi films, right? Like, yeah, they were just, man, they were great. They were really good. Speaking of throwing things to the audience, mate, had uh, had one good piece of feedback just just off the bat from the Forest Gump pod. Yeah, from the Forest Gump pod from from a good friend oh, of mine, nice. Mr. Oliver Lister, um, who first of all sends his love, loves the pod, so he, you know he wasn't firing in two footed or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, he he said to me that. Um, I love the pod, but I didn't agree really with your thoughts on the problematic, or at least some of the problematic elements that you flagged to Forrest Gump. And you've he- now blocked him on all platforms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dare you? See you um, later, mate. It's been a pleasure. He said, uh, I'd first of all frame it that disabled representation is still very poor in film and television, but having a disabled person as the hero of the story, even if not played by a person with that disability, is still a positive step. Making it a punchline isn't cool, especially if the audience is invited to laugh along, um, which they did in Forrest Gump. Hank's taking the role where a disabled person, uh, where a disabled person is a success story, even if that's cased in the misleading narrative of the American dream that hard work always rewards, isn't insulting, but at least a starting point for having disabled stories told. You know, good point. And we did, we did shout to Lieutenant Dan. I'm just saying, Ollie, right. (laughs) <laughs> we did shout to Lieutenant Dan's involvement, and can I, that was good as well. You know, can I? Look, I I am. Um, that is a incredibly good and astute sort of take. I think on the on on the discussion. Um, the only bit that I might put a, a star against um, is the making it a punchline isn't cool, especially if the audience is invited along to laugh at it. So that for me is the, that for me was the sticking point, you know, mm. like how many punchlines are you g- giving to this? How many, at how many points is he, are we laughing at him at how, or supposed to laugh at him at how many points were we with him and va- and sort of really kind of like fighting for him? You mm. know, I think one of the things that we sort of talked about last week was the idea of how many times that, he comes through for you as an audience member where you want him to come through and how many times people just laugh at him, you know? Mm. And that, that was where I kind of, that was where I really struggled with it as well. So I still think the echo for me is what you said last week, which I think was just very succinct, very to the point, which is this script lands on Tom Hanks's desk in 2023. He doesn't take this. He doesn't take yeah, the role. Never. No, no yeah. way, um, no way. But I do think like, I think there was an interesting discussion to be had on another day about how, the way in which people either take on roles or don't take on roles against a number of different um, criteria, I guess, Mm. in terms of perhaps people taking people from a different backgrounds, taking on a role that is not their sort of birth uh, ethnicity, I guess would be the, the right turn of phrase or perhaps um people taking on characters that they're not necessarily fit to play or that we might deem a society that we don't agree with them taking on you know and i think that that for someone like tom hanks i think at that time it was 
probably something that wouldn't even have been seen as too controversial. I think now no. there'd be huge flags raised. Yeah. Around that. But we should uh, we should give Purdy his his um, his shout out as well cuz he thought that this is direct from Purdy himself. I thought Forrest Gump was 80% uplifting, 20% misery. I loved watching Forrest proving everyone wrong, succeeding in everything he tried but ultimately having a wonderful life. Um, with his childhood sweetheart and his own son. It was beautiful. You lads need to cheer up. Now, I have a very, very interesting thing to add here. Did you know that there was going to be a Forrest Gump 2? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Now, this is very interesting. Listen to... So, so Blockbuster, just... not a straight-to-DVD movie? Mm -hmm. or. The yeah this was going to be this was um so the the kind of kicker really is the reason it didn't get made is because of 911 <laughs> well yeah there's a reason that they had basically written the script and they were in discussions and the reason why purdy is both entitled to his opinion but also completely wrong here um is because listen to this so in the the supposed script Forrest's son was going to die of AIDS. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and he was going to fall for another woman, I think, who was going to be killed in an explosion. She was going to be working for the government or something, and she was going to die in an explosion, and then they couldn't even progress with the film because it was around the time of 9-11. But I do think, even I'll try and find the clip and share it with you. I do think even the sounds of all of those things, it does sound like there's a lot of misery there still, right? you know? Like well, all of these weird. things. Like you don't have to make people appreciate things by just showing them miserable stuff, you know? Like just show people nice things. Yeah. Like... <laughs> that, they, 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 that was one thing that I think they did skim over a lot of the nice stuff that happened to him yeah. you know everything was kind of like i don't know everything did it felt like when he when he got millions and millions of pounds in stock apple stock it was just like oh just some fruit company okay you know it's yeah, like yeah it, it, they didn't give enough that didn't give enough to that for me uh, what do you think to his comment that us lads need to cheer up uh, I think that's the reason he's producing the film and we're the tortured <laughs> artists. We're the tortured artists who are here talking about it. So, you know, we'll see you. Let's see you in, in 10 years time, Purdy. Yeah. yeah. Let's, see how, let's see how chipper you are then. Eh? Annoyingly happy eh? young man. Eh? Piss off. Right. That's it. It's not, all, it's not all Bacardi breezes and, you know, McNuggets when you get to... <laughs> Your mid to late thirties, mate. As if, that, as if that was kind of like the dream, you know, yeah. and, uh, a huge session on the Bacardi breezes, and then a three a.m. McDonald's. Right. Do you know now what I mean? I'm now I'm overjoyed if someone suggests at sort of nine ten p.m. Should we shoot up and grab some food? Oh yeah. yes, please. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Waking absolutely. up and like you know your dodgy knee doesn't hurt quite as much anymore. <laughs> oh, winner, winning today already. You know. Yeah, I sort of do the 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 thing now when I, if like you you have a sort of a slightly heavier evening, I wake up grateful to myself that I haven't woken up on a friend's sofa like I would have mm. done at twenty one, yeah. twenty two. You know that bounce back ability that you have when you're kind of like 
18, 19, you've gone to a house party, you just wake up at 6am and you go and try and find your shoes by the front door and sort of like gently begin the migration to the bus stop to get home. Just now I'm like, nah, not for me. Not for me. Get me home at an appropriate Almost, It must as like this deep feeling of anxiety inside of me just (laughs) thinking about that. I don't look back to that wistfully and think, God, I wish I was there. You know, yeah, when you see I, these like stories about these guys in like their 40s, 50s running off with like a 19 year old, I always think like, good God, what, if, what, are, you, what are you doing, mate? You know, there's a what's very going on? Good, there's a very good um, peep show sort of bit around that. I don't know. Are you, a, are you a peep show fan? Oh, yeah. So, you know, when Jez is life coaching, if you haven't watched <laughs> peep show, by the way, then I'm so sorry. It's going to make no sense to anyone who, who, who hasn't seen it, but I would recommend it. It's amazing. Go um, watch. That's some homework for you. Go yeah, watch that as well. Big time. Um, oh, big. by the way, I, I've I've started Infinity Pool, so I am doing my homework. I am catching oh, yeah. up. Oh, Good yeah. so far. Um, but yeah, Jez is life coaching a couple, and he's sleeping with both of them. And um, mm. he says, like he says that the the guy is young, dumb, and full of cum, and he's like, what what if I'm not young? I'm not that dumb and i don't believe that i'm full of cum anymore (laughs) (laughs) like unfortunately that that is just the nature of the beast we'll all get there i don't know how these guys managed to do it you know like the kind of the wayne linekers of this world oh don't yeah no just uh well he's i think he did his own little uh instagram live thing once where it was testosterone injections or something like that really that would be what it was that was the loophole that he ultimately gets there with look should we move let's let's veer far and wide away from wayne lineker ben i'm going to ask you (laughs) have you been to the cinema this week um i haven't been to the cinema this week but i have a pods over then Thanks, everybody, do, for uh, <laughs> listening to BYOB. Cheers, subscribe. Yeah. Um, but I do have a bit of a, a bugbear around this. Okay. I sat at two different points, Friday and Saturday, and I sat and went through the cinema listings, and I was so uninspired. Mm. I was so uninspired this week, because I've seen, I've seen Air Guardians. Um, I've seen... One of the other films that, that was that was kind of on the the listings, and there was basically two or three to pick from. Evil Dead Rising didn't really appeal to me, um, and I wanted to go and see the pilgrimage of I forget Harold the, Fry. Harold Fry. I wanted to go and see that, but the showings of that are basically for people perhaps that are retired. They're all around yeah, sort of yeah. like four in the afternoon, and yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a deal on where you can get coffee and cake and a film. So oh, sounds, sounds quite banging to me. That, right mate. up my street, that. Yeah, <laughs> right up my strasser. You know? <laughs> unfortunately, um, unfortunately, I was working on those days. So I'm, like, then I started looking to be like, what's coming up? We're in for a good sort of June, July, aren't we? There is mm. a really good couple of months of cinema coming up. So that's my excuse. What about you, mate? Did you go this week? I'm just having a quick little look. So I see. Yeah, you're right. Really, there's not. There's not You've many classics on at the moment. You? Um, not quite. I mean, there's a few, there's a couple in like the book club, the next chapter. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I yeah. literally swerved that. Sally Field almost, though might be almost worth it. swerved that more than I would swerve Wayne Lineker. Sally, oh no, Sally Field's not in that one. She's in that other one about Tom Brady. Um, there's a film with well, there's a film with Celine Dion in it called Love Again. 
Yeah, that was another one where I was like, mm. not sure. To be fair, there's, that film Missing is on, and the, 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 the film made previously called Searching was actually really good. It was a really innovative use of like social media and technology within film. Um, can't vouch for Missing, I haven't seen it. I have been to the cinema this week, though. Um, with my Odeon, I've got like one of those Odeon memberships where I can see an unlimited amount of films per month for oh, okay. about 20 quid near enough, give or take. I think it's about £17. Um, oh, that's that actually quite a good deal. Oh, it's invaluable, mate. It's invaluable. Um, but with that as well, you will get invited to some early advanced screenings oh, of you certain fancy movies. bollocks. Yeah, I know. Jesus. So what do you get? I've got to remember the exact name. Hang on. So, hello. I think it was called Hello God, It's Me, Margaret. Let me just see if no, Oh, my God. I, I, th- I was looking for that this weekend. Are you there, God? That. It's yeah, Me, Margaret. It's been, and and, and like, it has been... I, I was trying to find whether there were any preview screenings of that because there was literally nothing on and everyone's been talking about it and I was like I wonder whether someone's got a preview showing on how was it was it good I'm gonna be honest mate I thought it was absolutely brilliant like uh, it, it took it took me completely by surprise I was going into this not really knowing I'd seen the trailer heard it was based on like a, a famous book which I by well by the author Judy Bloom. I hadn't ever heard of it haven't ever read it. I don't think I'm the <laughs> target audience. To be fair, I think it was like an Adrian Mole for 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 girls, basically. Um, it's all about kind of puberty, coming of age, that type of thing. Um, but it was produced by James L. Brooks, who people should know produced The Simpsons. Maybe still does, um, but like it's definitely produced it during its kind of glory years, and. It was it was funny. It was very heartfelt, um, just a very well written, very well acted across the board. Really good, really enjoyable film. Like really, really brilliant. Oh, um, man. That's coming out soon, isn't it? It's coming out in the UK like in a, in a week or so, two weeks maybe. Yeah, I think it'll be about a week. I think we usually get the invite to these the. Odeon Unlimited, I think they could, No, wait, I, I can't remember. It's called something like that. God, that's a really cool perk. That's a really it's, interesting yeah, it's little... Awesome. It's that's awesome. Sometimes nice. they'll do it as well, where it's like a mystery film, which is kind of cool as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. So you're going just oh, sharpen. mate, what a touch. That's a but really yeah, good one. Nice film. Really nice film. Um, I would recommend people to go and see it. Um, shall we move on to... The, the film that we've gone for this week or should we do one or two more comments really quickly no I think let's, let's move on let's, let's keep the people wanting more like if, you, if you do want to get in touch with us you know across any of our social medias they'll be on the they'll be on the screen or they were they had been on the screen get in touch Magnificent. tell us what yeah. you thought um, but what, what what did you pick Ben what did you right, pick for this so- week in Bruges, and the reason I picked In Bruges was specifically because, I don't know if you remember from last week on the pod, because you had said before that we can't do Banshees of Inner Sharing just yet because I, it's I only just down, come yeah. out. Yeah, you literally were like, enough's enough. Went to VAR, check complete, no Banshees. So I was like, right, okay, fine. But if we're not <laughs> going to do that, then we are going to do another Martin McDonough film. Um, and In Bruges, I, I love In Bruges. I think it's, I just... Spoiler what? alert, mate! Come on. <laughs> I lo- I I just I I 
I found it like I I found it watching it back now. I don't know whether it was the same for you, but I found it watching it back now to just to, to be a really lovely. I think it was an hour and forty six, maybe or an mm. hour and fifty. And I, I, we've chatted a lot recently about durations of films, and I just found the time whizzed by. I don't know whether that yeah. was like the same for you, mate. Like. To a T, so much so. The thing is, I enjoyed watching this back so much because I haven't seen this for quite a while. I did see it in the cinema originally. I have seen it since, but I still haven't watched it for quite some time. And I actually feel underprepared coming into this film because I just drifted off into enjoying the film. Just oh, enjoying it and just watching it as opposed to kind of analysing it. And then afterwards, I was like, shit, you know? But <laughs> um, it's pretty, I, might be a... My, I don't think this is a spoiler alert for anything. Oh, Martin McDonough's first movie. I didn't realise yeah. that. Didn't realise yeah. that. I was shit. I, I was about this week year old, but, but before I found out that this was Martin mate, McDonough's I, first movie. So, have you ever been to see one of his uh, theatre shows? No. Me neither, and I didn't realise he, he like he's supposedly I think the only creator who's had four of his shows running in the the west end at the same time wow. um and i didn't realize i knew he'd written for for the for the west end but just i didn't i didn't know that he was in terms of his sort of gravitas and the the, the just sheer scale and quality of what he did that he was so highly regarded there but um but yeah this this is just it's it's magnificent before i get you to to spoil it in 60 seconds can i just ask do you remember going to see it in the cinema i do just about yeah and did it did it like how i mean it's a tough question because i'm sure it was when did this come i can't even remember when this came out 2008 um, so did it do you remember coming out and being like that was a really really good film i honestly speaking i remember coming out of it thinking it was more of a comedy at the time. Do you know what I mean? I watched it, you know, I was still just young, youngish around that time, probably my very early twenties. So yeah, I think I, I kind of found it quite sort of funny, quite of a, quite an amusing film. And it is, it is still a comedy movie. Don't get me wrong. Like you are still supposed to find it funny, but I don't think I delved as much into any of the kind of profound machinations behind the movie um, at that point. Do you know what I mean? Just more yeah. like, <laughs> he called him gay in it, you know, that kind yeah. of thing as you, you do when you're stupid. The, the thing person. that's just popped into my head is that, that clip that I sent you guys. Yeah. <laughs> where, um, <laughs> so I'm going to do a, a spoiler straight away, but I sent, I sent Jack and Purdy the clip of um, Brendan Gleeson's character <laughs> having just done a load of gear in the toilet or something, just erupting out from erupting out from behind Colin Farrell and his face just completely just off the reservation and just looking so totally dishevelled. So good. Uh, he sort of says to the midget, midget of the 
dwarf, sorry, would you like some cocaine? And he sort of looks at back at Colin Farrell, sort of with this quizzical look upon his face. And in the time that it's taken him to look back, Brendan Gleeson just arrives over his shoulder and <laughs> ju- it just looks so wired. It's absolutely frightening. <laughs> sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm proper spoiling this. This is not really podcast material at all, but it just was one of those moments. Hopefully, Purdy will be, <laughs> be able to clip that up for me because it genuinely when I was watching it back I was the same as you I was like oh I really thought of this as a bit of a comedy and there's some quite interesting discussions that this film's trying to have and then you get moments like that and they just yeah, drop you yeah. they just completely drop you I mean that's well I mean we're, we're gonna delve too far into this aren't we before we are, we are right I'll get the 60 seconds on the clock okay um right. and I will um do you know what? I'll try and try and think of a Oh, no, Purdy's got a theme tune for us. I was going to try and get the ready, steady cook music up in my head. Um, <laughs> right. Three, two, one. Okay, so In Bruges centres around the fortunes of Ray and Ken, two hitmen who are hiding out in Bruges at the behest of their gangland leader, Harry, because a job has gone wrong in London. The two of them are wandering around Bruges. Ken is very much more interested in sightseeing where the slightly childish Ray isn't interested, wants to spend all his time down the pub. As they're doing their sightseeing or their pubbing, that kind of tussle they have between them, it soon starts to unfold that the reason why they are there is because Ray has botched a job. He's actually gone and killed a child instead. The kicker that comes is that Ken has delivered the news via Harry that he is to kill Ray because he has a strict code of conduct. Ken can't kill Ray. The two of them tell Harry to fuck off. Harry comes to Bruges to kill Ray, but he doesn't manage to do it because Ken saves him because he sees that Ray needs salvation and that Harry won't provide that to him. He doesn't deserve to go to hell. He doesn't deserve to go there. Mate, best one we've done yet. Best one we've done yet. That really got in a lot of the story there. I I will say though, right? Don't you feel, because we, we were talking about this off air, I feel a lot of that, I've got to like, doff my cap already to Mr. Martin McDonough because he's written such a banging script with such a clear linear narrative to it that you can encapsulate it in, in a format like that, right? Yeah, man, and I wouldn't... Right, I'm, I'm sort of going to go crazy executive decision and bump mm. this massively up the running order. Do it. This, for me... I had forgotten how unbelievably layered and perfectly synced and intentional this script is. Yeah. That it just is magnificently done. Like the way in which every single scene, there's not a single moment of wasted screen time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're sort of going through and you're like, you, you, you're just watching. It's so accurate what you said. You just get lost in it and you just kind of feel this this movie kind of just playing out in front of you. And then suddenly it will just bang, just call back to something that you thought was innocuous, you know? And the thing that jumps up straight away is just like it, uh, him saying, um, yeah, but he was coming at you with a bottle. Yeah. And then like, a minute later she comes in with a bottle. He goes, bottle! And then just claps her in the face and but, i mean you shouldn't laugh at the fact that he's just hit a woman in the face but the fact that she's got a bottle in her hand and five minutes ago he said well that's a deadly weapon 
He said, well, your fists are a deadly weapon. And then he just punches her in the face. It's, it's magnificent. But, 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 but don't you think this is part of the genius of it, mate? That like, you know, if you think about the, the kind of the central themes of the, of the movie about, you know, it's essentially about morality, right? Mm. It's about good and bad, but also the kind of the nebulous definitions of both of those and the grey area, which is not just in the middle of those, all around all of it, right? Every, almost every single facet of the film tries to explore what is good and what is bad in so many different little situations, whether it's down to the guy behind the counter at the tower who won't let Brendan Gleeson, he won't just say, go on, you're 10 cents short, just go up the tower. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, it, yeah. it's done in that or it's done in a more in a bigger scale idea of the fact that Ken is to kill Ray because he killed a child. Even though they're both hitmen, they both murder people for a living. Suddenly this horrible gangland leader who verbally abuses his wife in front of his children, smashing a telephone up, feels that fucking inanimate object. <laughs> right? Feels what a that... line. Feels that he has some sort of <laughs> credence to to put judgment upon somebody else. It's it's oh, it's so mate. bonkers. But I love the way that basically to the point on the script. I love the way that, like you say, nothing is nothing is unintentional. Nothing at all. No, right? no. And I mean, and this just, is, yeah, oh, it's brilliant. That was even even that um, he's ten cents short, so he can't go up, which means he's then got the change in his pocket to be able to throw down from the bell tower later on and nice. get rid of all of the people that are standing beneath him, so that he doesn't hit anyone else. You know, so that when he jumps off. He's only going to kill himself and he's not going to kill anyone else. And I mean, there were so many of those. There was the fact that um, the fact that the guy gave a certain type of bullet in the gun, meaning that yeah. it went through Colin Farrell. The head poppers in, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they didn't know that in actual fact it was. I can't remember what do they say? And I'm completely messing this up. So I have to massively apologize. What did they say that the character wanted to be referred to in the film? They said that he wanted dwarf. to be referred to as a dwarf, or yeah. he wanted to be referred to, like, yeah, it, 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 it was a I dwarf. Yeah, Jordan Prentice as well as Jimmy the the dwarf. My God, he is magnificent. He is so good. He's so he's like. It's amazing how they that again the writing is so brilliant that you take a character that you should naturally feel on the side of, you know, you should naturally feel that he's this guy that has enormous challenges. So I should naturally be rooting for him. And they manage to turn him into a character that you actually want to, you hate him. You want to see the back of him. Could you think, what little twat, you know? Yeah. You sort of like, it's such a, like a, it's such a horrid thing to, 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 to feel. But it's so, it's so kind of like, craftily arranged that you suddenly find yourself being like oh this i'm being played here that like, i'm being manipulated and it's really i've really really enjoyed it I, I love how affronted ray colin farrell's character is when <laughs> when he waves to him at the start when he's walking across the market screen <laughs> he just sort of blanks him and he tries to play it off as like oh well you know i was just on, on a horse tranquilizer but <laughs> He's still, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for Ray, is it? Like, he's so hurt by that. He's, I, I, I mean, no secret that I, we've spoken about 
Colin Farrell on here before and Brendan Gleeson. Like those two, it, just as they play their way through the film, they are absolutely incredible. They're so yeah. good together. They're so good together. And not, uh, a, a thing that I saw this week that, um, God, I, I should really be kind of like actually referencing these things properly that I've done in research for this. But they did three weeks worth of rehearsals beforehand. Did and they? they said that that's really, really rare. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, I don't, do you know if they'd been in anything together before? Not as far as I'm aware, mate, but potentially, you know. Because I wonder whether that time, just basically, whether they just started getting on really, really well. And it just what, it uh, just shines through in the film. I mean, their chemistry is just unbelievable, isn't it? that you can't make that that I, I know there are people that are world class can just turn it on and turn it off i feel like just looking at them next to each other in interviews they clearly adore each other you know and are just loving being there how upset would you be if they actually hated each other oh, so much because i right. actually again this is another thing i'm i'm totally messing up the running order this week but um but i just i would love to go to the pub with them yeah, yeah. I just feel like it would be absolutely amazing. Like, I just feel like they would just, you would sit there getting progressively more and more tipsy, just laughing your head off. And having those conversations that we spoke about in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Those really kind of like random, very left field. Oh, what 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 makes you think of that? Oh well, this and this and this. Do you know what I mean? You just sort of follow that kind of weird light, almost like your mind doing the YouTube thing, where you're just following thoughts down the YouTube sidebar. Like, you know, they just have this wonderful way with dialogue that you just get immersed in their conversation, even when Ray's character just can't stand being there. You know, he just sort of. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the only thing I'd be too self-conscious of though with those two, because like you say, they get on so well. Is that be just so like the first time you go to the toilet, they'll be like, What do you make of him then? You know what I mean? <laughs> that's sort of, yeah, he's yeah. all right. He's a bit full of his own noise, but you know, he's okay. He's all but right. What are those know? what are those situations where you actually almost don't want to talk because you're like, if I say something, the quality's got to be so good that yeah, I've just got yeah. nothing here. Yeah. Like I, I, I Good old social anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you stay out of this one, Ben. Yeah. You're not good enough for this chat. Take it back to BYOB. Yeah. It oh, was. God. It was. I have to say though, if you come back to the kind of writing, it was like so far. I think this has been just in terms of how we've seen a film structured. I I was I was marveling at this because I think we had a conversation, didn't we, about gladiator and trying to make everything neatly tied together yeah and the ending of gladiator kind of struggled almost in some senses because it felt like it felt like it had to do all these ticks whereas mm. this it was just so neat and tidy it was so the whole thing there was no bagginess to it at all you know no it felt like he knew exactly the story he wanted to tell and how he was going to get there. It was just, yeah, it was almost like you say, it was just kind of almost perfect. So he had an, another thing that I saw that he said, basically, that this story came from him going to Bruges and being like, wow, this place is gorgeous. Oh, my God, it's so boring. You know, so really? like, yeah. So he went on a kind of like a uh, a two or three day trip and basically 
<clears throat> I think he got the got the train there and just started looking around and thought, oh yeah, yeah, this is really, really nice. And then after a few hours, it was just like, I'm so bored. And he just went to the pub. And basically <laughs> the film came from that juxtaposition and he, he just turned them into the two characters in that he was like, this is stunning and gorgeous and I want to be able to just appreciate going to look at the sights and going to see everything. But I think the direct quote was like, I just want to go to the pub and I just want to go and get laid. <laughs> so that that's basically how he created the, the Colin Farrell character. But I've never been, so I don't know like how accurate the depiction of Bruges is. So you'll have to fill me in. Uh, well, this is one of the big things I wanted to talk about with the, with the film, mate. Like, I absolutely loved the, I guess the cinematography, but the way in which the city has been captured, the choice of shots, the pacing of the shots, the tone of it all, um, the grading, especially. It just, I think it, it, it perfectly captures the place. Yeah, there's a, a hell of a lot of history there. A lot of really good bars there. It's just, it's a not, you know, it, it's it's funny. I didn't. I tell you one thing that I didn't remember that was, I guess, refreshed for me on this one is that it takes place at Christmas time. You know, it's Christmas Eve, isn't it? Yeah, I'm I surprised do, do, you don't I see can't... this around more on Christmas kind of movie yeah. lists. You know, like people have the alternative Christmas movie lists, for example, yeah. Die Hard and such. I am surprised In Bruges doesn't doesn't show up on more of those. Yeah, we should sort of make a bit of a vouch for it, shouldn't we, around Christmas time? Mm -hmm. Sort of, we should really be pushing this one out. I'd, I'd, it completely had passed me by. I'd completely forgotten that it was actually a, a Christmas a, a Christmas film. Although, at the same time, it's being shot on Christmas Eve and they're filming it in, within the film. There's a film being shot on Christmas Eve. Like, that's the most brutal production of all time. Like right. <laughs> getting people out on Christmas Eve in the freezing cold. Um, tell me, because I again, because I haven't been. What is what is it actually like there? What is is does it feel as kind of sleepy and? Do you know the other thing is the soundtrack, right? The soundtrack makes it feel very sleepy and very gentle and very kind of, of historic. Course. Yeah, I mean, I would say I went. I I went there after the movie's reception and what i understand is the cultural impact of this film is that it really boosted tourism to bruges no way uh, yeah yeah it had a, it had a direct <laughs> direct impact on that so i dare say it was maybe more sleepy once upon a time but it, it you know it's still quite quiet there's not kind of modern shops there and there's not nightclubs and things like that um for, i think if i remember correctly when we went there, when when would I have gone there? I reckon I would have gone there probably 2009, 2010, I right, think. Okay. The first time I went there. Um, and that was like more with my mates and we were going out for kind of like to drink and stuff because, you know, the sort of Belgian beer and all that type of thing. And then I remember there being a fairly strict curfew there. Um, oh, Wow. On when I, th I think alcohol wasn't sold past about 10 o'clock, I want to say, in the old town. Have you been um, to Venice? No, I haven't. Because no. they have the same thing. Yeah. You can't get a beer anywhere after maybe 10, 10 p.m. Yeah. Um, so so there were elements like that to it. Um, so I, I remember as kind of we stayed in a hostel when we were there and just ended up kind of, you know, having a load of tins and stuff in that. But. So it didn't bother us too much, but still, um, 
Yeah, I, I remember that. But we, you know, we still enjoyed it. We still enjoyed all the various different. Uh, there's a, there is a just there's a real charm to it that I do think is captured in the film. That you know, when you hear kind of Colin Farrell talking about it being a shithole, you 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 watching it thinking <laughs> eh, it doesn't look like one at all. You know, it doesn't look like a shithole, and it's definitely not a shithole. You know, like it's quite the opposite. It's it's, it's a lovely place, and I liked how it felt. I guess well, um, Martin McDonough's British Irish. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'd assume it was a British production. I mean, it's Channel know, 4. Gonna... Channel 4. Channel 4. So that, right. So yeah. it's a British production. But it felt like a very European film. Didn't you, didn't you think? Yeah, even yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It's obviously yeah. set in Bruges, but like you say, the very music. Very continental. Yeah. The pacing, it felt more. It didn't feel like a British movie. Do you know what it had shades of for me? And this is a slight American version of, of this. And it, I think it was hit pretty hard is it called midnight in paris with owen wilson i don't know i don't know if i've seen that i'm gonna have a little look but that's a that's a an interesting one it's a it's about a guy with writer's block um yeah midnight in paris 2011 similar sort of timing then um but that was a very very kind of americanized version but it was similar similar kind of vibe and feel and the way that paris is shot everything is a lot of it a lot of it is shot at uh, of in bruges they do those gorgeous night shots where you get in the reflections yeah. of the water and everything is quite sort so of orange which is really lovely you know it's, it's such a kind of like alluring sort of look and feel you know when they do the the cuts where they'll go it will be a, a tight shot of a monument and then it will cut to a wide. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. just this really nice establishing calmness, which I thought was amazing. It's so cool. And I, you're so right as well. Colin Farrell describing it as a, as a shithole is really jarring because he's like, he hates it so much. And yet everything you're presented with is like, well, it looks really nice. <laughs> it looks like perfectly well kept. Where did you land on it? Did you, were you bored there or did you, did you like it? I think we only spent a couple of days there and that felt like enough time. It's very yeah. small. It's a very, the, the, I think what Charlotte said, which is very true when we were watching this is because I've been there once with her before as well. Um, is it if you've been to Bruges, you will feel like you've basically seen everything that you see in the movie. Is, you know how yeah, when yeah. you see on in a movie like you know if there's a movie set in London and one of the shots will be down a road near where you live or something like that, it feels more like oh my god, my fucking road is in that film or something <laughs> like that, and it feels yeah. you know like a bit more like wow, it's not kind of that likely that that might happen, or at least there's much more to choose from. With Bruges, it's it's a it's a it is a tiny. The old town where this is all set is tiny, like it's really yeah. really small. Um, so you do feel like you've seen basically all of it when you're you know after a couple of days. Well, I didn't realise until I looked at the kind of map of it for this that it's basically surrounded by an entire canal. Right, it's literally yeah. a big circle, and that's actually really really interesting because it lends itself perfectly to this idea of. Bruges being purgatory, that basically we are in this holding spot, in surrounded by kind of a, a a boundary that stops people leaving, essentially, without their, almost without their judgment, you know, or at least the characters within it, 
it feels as though once they arrive in, the only way that they're going to get out of Bruges is after they've been judged as being good or bad, maybe. I feel like I can't in good faith let you mention the word purgatory without me saying to you, what's purgatory? <laughs> Do you know what? I, it, it absolutely drives me mad that somehow Tottenham Hotspur find their way into the <laughs> find their way into this film. It, it's so it's perfect. I, I remember when I first saw it. this in the cinema, I like bawled out laughing as well because I was like, "That's so fucking perfect" as well. I'm sure. You know? I'm sure. You, I, you, I, I'm sure everyone has watched the film that's listening to this. But in case you haven't, what is the exact line? I can't remember the top well, of my head. Well, you weren't really shit, but <laughs> you weren't you weren't that good either, like Tottenham. and and you know what kills me is the way that that probably for like 90 percent of the audience you went oh okay like tottenham (laughs) it it all makes sense now (laughs) for god's sake but it it, it, like i really like that because i mean i'm again sort of having done bits of philosophy and stuff that kind of idea also like i mean i i went to a i went to a, a catholic school so this is all quite uh, the idea mm. of good and bad and the idea of right and wrong was heavily, it was like a heavy theme of, of, of my schooling experience. And so purgatory being this kind of like holding spot for judgment, I just thought was such a great setup for a film. And particularly because like you said, the Ray as a character, you don't feel like he's a baddie. You know, no. you're not watching it and being like, this guy's an arsehole, you know, but you do, you feel like there's shades of grey across the board. So you're trying to spend, you're sort of spending the entire film almost going through the, the rights and wrongs and the goods and the bads and whether he necessarily, like, to what extent he needed to be judged, you know? What, what did you make of his journey across the film, mate? Because I think it's one of the most fascinating things about the film. I, I... And one of the most affecting it. things, right? Yeah, I adored it. Like, and I thought actually the dexterity that Colin Farrell showed to go from these kind of quite funny situations where he's assaulting a woman who's coming at him with a bottle to then sort of maybe 10 minutes later in the film he's about to commit suicide. Yeah. You know, it's 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 I I thought he was so wonderful in this and i actually thought that arc was amazing i'm i'm really torn i I don't know what i think about the end i don't know what i think happens to him um but but i thought that the the ending was fitting for his character you know Mm. and i i i really really enjoyed seeing that seeing that journey through and i and i i i i loved his childlike state you know i thought that was a wonderful dynamic to have him in position as the guy that's killed a child but at the same time he's a kid himself he's not mm. a grown-up you know everything he does is pretty immature and he, he sort of is it, it, brendan gleason is brendan gleason has been supposedly a, a, a hitman for maybe five ten years or something and so colin farrell's a newbie and you can see he has almost like this older brother or maybe like father figure style relationship with him and watching that dynamic throughout the film and watching Ray try and come to terms with what he's done 
whilst being guided by a guy who's about to potentially have to kill him. Mm. Just such a great setup. You know, how do you think of that as a creator? It's such a it's, it's genius, man. What did you think of, of that journey for Ray? I just, well, like I said, like you were saying, it is very affecting because you do see him go from being this churlish, like you say, almost like insolent teenager on the on the family holiday. Oh, I don't want to do this, kicking his heels around, doesn't want to sit in the hotel, can't entertain himself. You know, you've got Ken um, Gleason's character there sat reading a book and he's kind of almost giving him the, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Treatment yeah. kind of thing. Until he says, okay, we can go out. And he gives it like the yes and the fist pump and all that type <laughs> yeah. of thing. And he sort of was like, he kind of convinces him to go to the, somehow get to the pub, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, we've all done that with our dad at some point. Oh, yeah. Can we just, can we just, maybe we'll just stop what, like, and just kind of this one thing. And then before you know it, you're in the pub and then you don't get home until like midnight or whatever when you were a kid. Which yeah. I thought was really cool. And I think we've all been both characters as well. Oh, big Do you know time. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of like an exact experience, but I have 100% been Ray being like, this is shit. <laughs> While you look around and everyone else in the group is like, this is just wonderful. And you're like, what game are you watching? <laughs> this is crap. <laughs> but but it, 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 it's almost like that, that child like state that he's almost reverted back to you feel like it's just a kind of shell so he doesn't have to do any of that introspection so he doesn't yeah. have to do any of that self-reflection he's completely hiding from the truth the 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 reason why they're there it, it you know it, i don't think he's he wants to have a drink to forget about it i think he just wants to have a drink because he wants to have a laugh on the holiday do you know what i mean i don't think it's i don't think it's that kind of like form of self-medication um yeah distraction as well isn't it he needs to be distracted like he can't stop and think for a second you know he just needs stimulation so that he can put his mind anywhere else exactly that and it just it hits him like a it hits him like a, a ton of bricks when he you know it fully does dawn on him what he's done but i mean i don't i, I don't want to sort of jump too far ahead but i think it's it, it is all kind of relevant though when you're talking about kind of Ray and Ken and their kind of their character journeys if you like Ken at the start who like you say is the the older brother figure and he does shoulder that all along but he does have his own kind of skewed morality over everything right they 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 both do and I think that's what that's what I love so much about the film um really that's that's pitched throughout it is that they all of these characters have these strange ways of looking at things like Ken was literally about to shoot Ray in the back of the head until he sees that he's about to shoot himself and he stops him. You that know? was amazing. That was so... I, 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 my mind was blown by that scene because I couldn't make sense of it. I was like, I know exactly why he stopped him, but he was about to kill him anyway. But isn't it like you said, he, he's trying to save him from going to hell? Yeah, maybe. Maybe and the, and there, I mean the, the the kind of there is in the in the in the religious Catholic the, sense. The, that's that's the, what the, I'm the, putting the it down to. I'm not kind of saying that's my sort yeah of, yeah. So it, and the idea would be that he needs to stop him, and then he goes on to say in his little 
sort of, I guess, he's trying to guide him. He says, go and save the next boy. Now, this was a really interesting one, right? Because he says to him, I killed a little boy. And then he says, so go and save the next boy. And I wondered whether that was the film saying, go and save yourself. Like, mm. As in the next little boy is Ray. Because there was a, I've seen a couple of people reference this, but the little boy, when he was praying, had three things written down on a piece of paper saying being moody, being bad at school or bad at maths. And and then something else, and all three of those things, Ray's character is supposed to be. So it it basically is kind of like mirroring this little kid. But I think one of the the interesting things I do find about their characters is that, and this was kind of like the 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 point I was leaning to when I I brought them into it is that even though you have um. What's his name? Fucking hell. Ray, the character Ray. What's it, just the famous fucking Colin actor plays Colin Farrell? Fucking hell. <laughs> You're just doing a film about, just doing a podcast about films, Jack. You know, literally talking about this film. Oh, oh God. Right. So the Ray, lead character, yep. So the lead character, yeah, the lead actor, the guy that won a BAFTA for it. Um, Did he win a BAFTA? I think but so. not nominated for an Oscar? Or maybe he won a Golden Globe. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll have a look in a bit. But or maybe Brendan Gleeson was nominated for it. Oh my God, we're doing a, just a horrible job here. <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially, really, when it comes down to it, but the point I was going to make is that Ray has this stern belief in, like, he's he's got this sort of sense of predeterminism about him, mm, right? Yeah. He yeah. sees their time in Bruges as a punishment, as being boring. The fact. He has done this bad thing and he just needs to die because what he's done is awful. Whereas Gleason, Ken, he more has this like complaintive, wide-eyed view over the world, right? He 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 ponders the randomness of the universe, but also as to whether or not this is part of God's plan. Like the, there is this divine yeah. tapestry that they're all taking place in. He definitely has a greater a sort of propensity for dreaming for believing and also just this this sense that even in the face of this tragedy there is still salvation for ray there is still room for him to grow and for him to you know his whole thing is he's trying to usher growth upon ray he's trying to move him past this like stern kind of place of like nope this is all boring oh what's that it's just an old building do i have to look at it no you don't have to look at it kind of thing so he still has this wide-eyed wonder over the world that Ray maybe doesn't have, which is funny because it's it's ironic because their character types are more set in, like you say, the big brother who is supposed to be all wise role and Ray who is the younger, more naive one. But the, their outlook is almost flipped, if you if you get what yeah. I mean. Yeah, and I, 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 I've sort of found uh, the character of Ken sort of weirdly... It made me weirdly anxious, right? Because he seemed to have such a calm with the acts that he'd committed. Mm. He sort of was like, "Yeah, no, I've done, I've done pretty bad stuff, so I've got to come to terms with that." You know. Whereas Colin Farrell's character was jittery and really kind of a bit all over the place, and it didn't have that. And maybe this is a good time to go on to this, but. 
He didn't... Colin Farrell's character seemed to be held to a high bar because he had killed a child. So he had done something unacceptable because he'd killed a child. And that was on some level kind of dramatically beyond the line. And they're talking about the idea, or or clearly the, the film is meant to be purgatory and an escape from purgatory through judgment one way or the other. And yet Ray's character is worried about the fact that it killed a child and not worried about the fact that he'd killed a Catholic priest. <laughs> in a church. <laughs> in a church. Whilst, whilst giving whilst confession. confession. You know, right? and, I, and, and, and I just thought that was, that was so fascinating that we create, and we do do this, all of us do this, but we create these dynamics by which you kind of, the judgment of the time is, is the judgment or the judgment of whatever the culture says is, is the judgment and in this case, it's honour amongst thieves as the judgment, you know, which I but thought d- was fascinating. Well, yeah, honour amongst thieves is like it's a huge kind of element of this. But do you think that given that like the, the backdrop to a lot of this was, you know, Catholic faith, which is pretty, you know, it's fire and brimstone. It's pretty black and white as to what is right and what is wrong. You still have all of these guys like operating in this sense where... They because you you you're correct, right? We they are all correcting their own, creating their own rules. They are all kind of living by their own codes. But when you reflect upon that, it makes you realise that you know we we all do that. We all have really our own, there is no there is no objective right or wrong. I think that's yeah. the the point that the film is trying to make, and we all have our own sets and our own kind of belief systems that dictate this type of thing you know we have if you know you think about it you can have a a a footballer who can be an objectively or at least a, a subjectively tick a lot of boxes good person will give to charity will so on and so forth do all the right things but will sign for his clubs at the time's most fierce rivals and forever he will be seen as scum you know like he will be seen as the worst type of human being imaginable uh he probably would have less courtesy extended to him than people who have committed heinous atrocities there would be a lot less debate you know now now in the age when even you have people doing the most awful horrific crimes and you still have discourse online oh well actually if you look at it from this way mm, uh, mm, uh, kind of thing but a lot of people will be strangely unified upon hearing, oh, this guy signed for his team's rival team. People are like, oh, yeah, oh, no, that's dodgy, isn't it? Oh, you can just tell someone's wrong, and if they do that. So true. It's so true. I, I'll tell you what, I'll give you another example of this. Very left-field example. Um, I, was at a, I was at a wedding, and I didn't really know the person so I was kind of like, I was probably crowbarred in as 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 a as a, <laughs> as a, as a like a we've had a dropout. He'll do. I literally will turn up at the opening of an envelope <laughs> or the opening <laughs> of a French door. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> bloody running theme here. But this is this is years ago, and um, I'm sat on the table, 
with all the other no hopers so all the shit ones that clearly were like late in they had enough seats for and uh, um you know often at weddings you'll be sat sort of like very sporadically or randomly so you will be they'll actively try and it's probably a bit of an outdated thing now isn't it but people used to actively try and get people to have conversation at weddings with people yeah, that yeah. they didn't know so i was sat next to this this woman who seemed perfectly nice and i spent the entire the, the meal just nattering away so we've been talking for for two hours and she just seemed like the kindest sweetest loveliest person um and then and then she sort of she kind of i was like oh would you like a glass of wine she said oh no i'm 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 not drinking anymore i've got to get up early tomorrow to go to the stables i was like oh that's nice you ride horses i was like oh so you you, you sort of like what kind of horse riding are you, are you teaching people a question she's like no I was like, "All oh, right, well, what what is it? Are you racing?" Or and she was like, "No, I, I'm going to hunt foxes tomorrow." And I was like, "And I was like, oh god!" And I literally, I literally, for the rest of the meal, oh, we just kind god. of sat in silence. And yeah, it was, I don't and, blame you. And it just kind of like. It, honestly, it was like someone had just punched me in the in the stomach. I was that like, took a turn. God, I was literally, I was like, I really don't like you. Like you're yeah. awful. But for the, for, for the for two hours, I'd sat there and been like, what a lovely person. You know how yeah. nice that you just bump into these people in the world you'd never met before. You get introduced on the day. Turns out she's a fox murderer. I was like, Jesus uh-huh. Christ. Absolutely horrible. (laughs) And you sort of said it loud enough that it brought the whole table to a standstill. Uh, like, you can hear like a just, fork uh, dropping in the background yeah, exactly, kind of thing. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just people just oh, ice the room out. But the but the, to bring it back to the film, the reason why I thought of that is because it literally, like everything else, the film is trying to say to you, like, yeah, but shades of grey. You know, shades of grey. Mm. Like, you, do people get the benefit of the doubt? Does he get the benefit of the doubt because he's because he's not seemingly a bad guy? He was trying to kill a priest who they kind of allude to the fact wasn't a good guy. You know, would that have been permissible? Is that okay? You know, to go an eye for an eye, but then. Because accidentally he's done something else so now can he be judged you know and I thought that it's just I, I found myself kind of having these almost like bargaining conversations over the characters and I wondered actually did you when you look at those characters did you make judgments on them when they kind of when they exit the film afterwards yeah kind of because they they leave the film one by one really yeah so like, do you know where you sat on them all? No, not really, actually. No, not, 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 but I mean, I think my immediate one when I think about it is I think about like Harry and I just think he's an idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but he's so good in that, isn't he, Ralph Fine? Oh, like, he's amazing. <laughs> like, the, the, the way that he snaps and turns and goes, you're a fucking inanimate object. Like, it, again, it's another example of something that in real life, you would never laugh at, you know, but it's the absurdity of it. It's the ridiculousness of this situation that we're in that you find yourself just chuckling going, that is just completely bizarre. And now this guy's going to have to rock up in Bruges and 
go and try and take I mean, care of it. It's fucking terrifying as well, isn't it? It's like, really scary. If if a generation of people having seen him as Voldemort didn't find him scary enough, do you know what I mean? Like if they're seeing him in outside of that kind of role, seeing the sort of things that probably led him to get cast in it. Although actually, yeah. that was, it was probably in the middle of filming the Harry Potters, wasn't it? Really, come to think of it. Yeah, good point. But the, the, so, why did you find him scary in this? Because of that canned rage, that 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 ability to kind of fly off the handle um, very quickly as well. And the fact that his morality is so skewed, it you, you makes him unpredictable, right? And you can tell that the people around him, because I feel that, I feel that Gleason thought he had the measure of him. I thought Ken probably thought he had the measure of him, and almost quite patronisingly did the whole putting his gun down and thinking Harry's not going to kill me if I don't have a gun. I know his kind of code, and yeah. I know how yeah. this is going to work. And it sort of takes him by surprise, I think, when <laughs> when he shoots him in the leg, you know, because yeah. he's standing there. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that that level of unpredictability that somebody who's worked for him, like you say, for whatever, 10 years, let's say, still really didn't have a full measure of him and still was kind of panicked enough about the thought of him coming over or finding out that they might not even be in their hotel. We can't leave. We can't go to the pub. Harry's going to call us. You know, yeah. it, it... and it, do you know what? This is again a very, very obscure reference, but it reminded me so much of something like Top Boy. Yeah, you know how there's like a code of ethics that you don't break, yeah. but it exists completely independently to any other code of ethics that anyone else lives by. So it's frightening, you know, because it's like, well, no, you have to die for that. So like, why? No. Yeah. Why yeah. do you, why'd you have to? And then he sort of like turns like, well, no, I've got, unfortunately, you you know, I have to, I have to go and kill him now. And if I don't go and kill him, then I have to kill you. And so the only way that he can disarm him is to disarm himself and say, I love you. And, <laughs> and, and kind of like drop this, almost be like, I'm now so vulnerable that if you were to kill me, it almost might veer into that territory of like killing a child. Because yeah. I'm not even armed, you know, and that, and yet somehow, and then at the end of the film, for Ralph Fiennes' character Harry to to go, well, I've killed a child. I've now got, to, I've got to kill myself, you know, because he'd mm. said that he would do it, so he has to do it, you know. It just was uh, that for me is so frightening because it doesn't make sense, you know. That's the that's the thing is that like trying to make trying to make a rational thought out of something that's completely irrational yeah it, it just it scrambles your brain and then it frightens you you know but it's it's what we all do ultimately isn't it like like we're sort of saying at the top we all still have that grasp on what we think is right and what we think is wrong which you know i i don't know how much of a comment on faith or the catholic church the film is supposed to be i'm not actually sure what martin mcdonough's personal position on all that is um but it did feel almost like the sort of surrealist nature of the film set amongst the kind of you know the painting of the divine comedy and all that type of thing that they're looking at in the in the museum is it's almost a, a sort of a, a not a critique but an observation on the fact that you've got this binary measure heaven hell purgatory but purgatory is still that place that's kind of, eh, we don't really know, you know? And yeah. that's 
sort of what the whole film's about. That really, really, let's be honest, everybody's going to go to purgatory if 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 it's there, if it's there waiting for anybody. Yeah, chances are no everybody goes there, right? You yeah, know? and maybe that's what it is. Fucking Bruges, <laughs> so yeah, good that right? line. Like, what a way to end it as well, because he flips. I don't know if you noticed that, that the the final lines they flip the tense as well. Because I, I think I can't remember what the final line of the film is. Is like, I didn't, I didn't want to die. Yeah, I didn't want to die. Yeah. So suddenly he's kind of, you don't know where you are with him. You don't know whether he has died and now he's watching back or commenting on his own life, or whether he, this is him. He hasn't died and he's okay. And I thought that I, was quite what, quite a nice. What did you think he had done? I can't tell whether I'm just so soppy that I just wanted him to live because I liked his character. I yeah. thought he was alive. And I also really loved Clement's Posey's Chloe. I yeah, thought there yeah, was yeah. something still there. She is like just wonderful in that character as yeah, well. Brilliant. Just kind of really she something very kind of like unspoken in the way that she does like her mannerisms and just little things that she does you know when he says to her something I, I knew someone like you couldn't go for someone like me you know a good person and she sort of just has a coy little smile but it says so much yeah you know, because she's not a good person at all but she's <laughs> flattered by the idea i mean she's literally selling drugs to filmmakers you know she's not a good person but she's so flattered and taken by the fact that he might think that she could be um so yeah no i i think he stays alive what about you i felt that he died i oh I, really because i i felt that so if you if you imagine that the whole movie is about kind of it's about repentance it's about punishment i guess it's about you know the the fate of a soul it felt to me that he the character of ray was largely indifferent um at the beginning of the film and you see him get to a point when he first starts to feel that pain the pain of his actions that he's just gonna bang shoot his blow his own brains out and not have to think about it and not have to worry about it. He didn't really value much in life at all. You know, he was fairly directionless. He was a guy that, you know, you, you got to imagine if he's kind of just come to a place in life where he's like, well, I might as well start killing people for money. He's probably, you know, not in a good place or anything like that. And it felt to me that like over the course of the film, suddenly after he'd been saved initially by Ken and Ken sacrificed his life for, for Ray, I guess that was his own form of redemption, um, at least his attempt at it, to reconcile that for himself. His life, his actions, everything that he'd kind of you know done. Um, that it, 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 it basically that, and also the the love that he'd found, like the friends that he'd found, and such, and just that appreciation for life that Ray had gotten. That it seemed to be fitting that the moment at which he found that appreciation for life and for being alive, that that's when he faces his punishment for the things that he has done still. Because as much as we are here to like warm to his character, he's still a bad, he's still a bad guy, right? Or he's at least done some bad things. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's, it's redemption enough that he learned to value life and he found love 
in the time that he was there before he died but i did feel that he he died at the end well yeah and that's kind of one of the other things that the film does feel like it's trying to get at right the idea of cause and effect mm. the idea that for every action there is a reaction you know and so i suppose one one other reading there that maybe perhaps he maybe he dies but maybe he doesn't go to heaven or hell because i think that's one of the yep that's one of the things i I don't know if i'm 100 percent accurate on this so please tell us in the comments i've completely brought this up but i think you can live eternity in purgatory i think that's one of the the kind of teachings that you kind of if you don't repent for your sins or whatever but you don't go to hell you can just be in purgatory you can just exist in purgatory and nothingness and maybe so that's essentially kind of, if you've lived a good life but you've not been a god-fearing christian yeah you're, you're tottenham you know you're, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you 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 are but then again when the film was made we weren't the spurs weren't sort of champions league at that point were we what was that when we just moving towards Moving, to, we were just changing. We're, we're, we're not we're Champions coming. League now, mate. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is going to age, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> the, the um, but but it, it's sort of like it's kind of making that. I guess it's making that point that you can just exist in that kind of nether zone, and I think that's why Bruges is such a perfect location for it. You know, clearly that's like very much the the, the kind of nature of the setup is designed with that in mind. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know. I really, really, I was vouching for him by the end, but equally, I didn't feel unsatisfied by the finish. I liked the fact that there's a discussion there. Yeah. I liked that it didn't give you, it did. I suppose this is like the antithesis of what you're saying about Gladiator, right? Because if you, if you wanted to, you could neatly go, oh, and he was fine. And then he went off with Chloe. You know, she went mm. and found him and everything was okay in the end, you know. And whereas this is a lot more deliberate in the fact that it's kind of like, no, we're going to leave this. You are going to have to work it out and decide for yourself whether whether he's actually made it out of this or not. Which is really cool, I thought. Can I, can I just say one shout I want to do here, mate? Just one bit that really, like, haunted me in it. But it was almost, I guess because it was quite peaceful when we're talking about the characters' arcs and... I sort of touched on Ken's there. You know, he he ultimately ends up jumping off the tower to save, to save Ray. It's the point when he's he's at peace, but he just says he's got that line. I think I'm gonna die now, you know, and then just kind of shuts down. It's just that moment of like, oh wow, it really got me. It really hit me, you know. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that he's he's obviously done that to save Ray. Yeah, you know he didn't. But to save to himself as well, I think. Yeah, sort of re- redemption, you know. And yeah, do you, do you think he would have gone through with shooting him? Yes, I do. Because he says I wasn't going to do it, but I, I kind of the same as you. I think he probably would have done. And why do you, why do you think he would have done? Because I think that he's following the code at that point. Yeah. And it's only because <laughs> Ray's about to break the code that Ken's like, well, you can't do that. What are you doing? It's cheating. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that is so weird. Like, I find that just in life, I don't know about you, but I find that sort of thing in life, I find it really tough to deal with. 
Like, I, yeah. I, I find it, I really struggle with that sort of thing. Just kind of this idea that you kind of can have another set of rules by which I think maybe that's just kind of an inbuilt thing in me that I've always wanted things to be fair. Do you know what I mean? I've always okay. wanted. Here's that perfect example of it, isn't it? I remember, like, not naming any names, but I, I recall once upon a time when we had a shoot and we had some influencers on said shoot. There's probably about 10 people in the room. You ordered a couple of pizzas and then a couple of said influencers took like six, seven slices for themselves, stacking up a plate, stacking up tissues. And there's that bit in your head of like, I mean, that's supposed to be for everyone. There's like a couple of slices yeah. each, right? You know? But, but, the, but, the, but the law states in that environment that people that have got some sort of clout because they're an influencer so it's okay for them to behave in that way but i don't yeah. know i think that i don't know whether everyone would have had that reaction with the film you know i don't know whether everyone would have seen it in that way but equally that could just be a wonderful bit of design from martin mcdonough you know to have these characters that represent both sides of it so that at certain points you feel a tug at your heartstrings around those things and i think brendan gleason gets that spot on like you're mm. saying with that line you kind of there's certain bits where you're more ken or you're more ray i think the only the only person that you never are is harry you know i think that's very intentional as uh, for me he's the devil he's like the ultimate like he he's there to show you like that's what really bad is you know yeah that like, he's the bad bad guy and he comes in and you're kind of like, yeah, well, that's fine. You can get rid of him. But then equally kind of amazing that he gives him the exit that he gives him, you know, that he actually follows his own rules on, in, in some sense. It's <laughs> sort of like, well, I've got to do this. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, mate, I'm going to cheat here and mm. I'm going to use this as a little way to crowbar this in because I know how much you love the film. Do you think <laughs> that this, where after they made this film meant that by the time that Martin McDonough then was like, look, I'm doing Banshees of Inner Sharon. Do you fancy it? It just meant that they were like, sign me up for whatever, you know? Yeah. A deep sort of like, a deep dive into the, the male psyche. Like, yes, please, get me in there. Yeah, because, I, I, you know, it's been, what now? It's been over 10 years, about 15 years, near enough, give or take, since they'd worked on In Bruges together. I think there's probably that part of them of like, well, it's not, it's not too gimmicky for us to do this again. Let's. It didn't there's enough way, of it. There's a no. There's enough of a gimmick there because naturally, I remember straight away, my head first went to, oh wow, okay, there you go, Farrell and Gleason back together again. Loved them in Bruges. Let's see them in this again. I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I'm there. Um, and I think a lot of the early press was kind of focused on the fact they'd acted together and all that type of thing. But the film, yeah, the characters were far removed from what they were yeah this type of characters they were playing in in bruges i guess well maybe actually in some ways colin farrell's characters were similar ish to a point but you know i don't think that's intentional or really even the point of it at all it's just that their chemistry is so brilliant on screen that it if if they're open to it right if as a director or somebody that's writing and making something especially something that deep that you want it to give it to a safe pair of hands two people you know have the chemistry to be able to pull that type of thing off 
is great. And I think the fact that their chemistry is so good and you probably go to that movie thinking, wow, these two are like such good mates. They're going to work so well together. And then suddenly you're like, oh, one hates the other one in this film. What? And immediately it already feels like one of your mates hating you, right? Yeah, and you 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 can't help but feel dragged in by that as yeah. well. In the same way, you can't help but uh, I remember us talking a bit about it on another podcast on on Rule the Roost, your other pod, um, and it it like you find yourself com- starting comparing your life to these characters you're seeing play out in the same way within Bruges that you're making this comparative thing with your own life about the rights and wrongs and the goods and the bads and ultimately if we were judged how would we be judged now you know where would you sit on this on the gray scale like how far are you in the good side how far are you in the bad side equally with banshees of inner sharing you have the same thing where you're like how many of those relationships am i in you know how many of those friendships am i in where it's kind of either drifted one way or the other or someone's decided not to be friends with you or you've decided not to be friends with someone anymore. And I think the thing with Martin McDonough is that he manages to write in a way where it is deeply profound but feels totally accessible all the time. Yeah. You know, he's doing massive things with you emotionally whilst making it feel like a drink with a mate down the pub. You know, yeah. it, it just, it, it, I, I think he's so, so gifted. One thing I was going to ask you on this though, mate. So in terms of his, his films, right? So he did, he had a short called Six Shooter. He'd done all his theatre work. Then in terms of films, In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards and Banshees of Inisherin. Is that, that to me looks like not a, a huge body of work but an unbelievable body of quality. Like, yeah. They're all just brilliant. Is that normal for a director of, and a writer, some, or just a creator of this sort of quality? Is that, is that normal to sp- spend that amount of time over your, over your films? Or is he just I, someone who's picky? Maybe, but it is, I guess it's probably also punctuated. Is he writing plays in between that as well of course yeah yeah. maybe if he's still i I don't know if he's still you know writing theater productions or not i guess also maybe the the dynamics of i mean yeah i'd say he's picky to the extent that he hasn't rocked up doing a marvel film for example yeah you know i'm sure i'm sure somebody would be keen to have him involved in that type of franchise discussion you know um so haven't you haven't seen him do anything like that it seems to be very much that I believe he's written everything that he's directed. Yeah, I think so. Yep, yep. Written, yep. Banshees wrote three billboards, wrote seven psychopaths, wrote in Bruges. Uh, th- that was one of and the things that I, I, I loved about this as well is that mm-hmm. they apparently it was because it was his first film. They were like super collaborative. Nice. That everyone was like super helpful trying to get this to be as good as possible it does feel a very warm film in that sense sorry and, go on you wouldn't say something well i was just gonna say and it's it's hard to get films made mate like that's that's yeah, the, so the truth of it and as much as we can say martin mcdonough's amazing brilliant fantastic i'd be interested to know how much his movies make and the type of people that operate movie studios will have that cold mechanical glare over this type of thing where they'll say well yeah. well he'll need x amount but his movies have only grossed x amount so on and so forth you know yeah he's not he's not a blue 
He's not a he's not a triple A grade name in lights in a Hollywood sphere, right? Like yeah, and that's so ugly. He's still as well. quite niche. Such a big part of it. Yeah, but but like so, Banshee's been a Sharon was twenty million budget, and it took fifty million at the box office. That's not a lot of money. No, that's that's just nothing really when you think about it. Consider like, the the billion that. Super Mario Brothers has made, which you know it's, it's not a fair Mario comparison. Done a billion. Yeah, it's done a billion. Yeah. Wow. Way, I think it's going. Well, I think it would have gone way over a billion there. I mean that that tells the story, doesn't it? That absolutely tells the story. But having said that, I just yeah. I mean, I got so much. Resp- I'm feeling like now the more that we do of this, the more that I'm starting to get new respect for these guys for mm. the amount of commitment that it must take, and also just the kind of the willpower to sit down and commit something that's this layered and this textured to to paper yeah. to manage to find a way to drag it all together it's such a skill it's yeah, unbelievable um, I'm, I'm surprised Banshee's only took 50 mil that's yeah. really shocked me particularly it was given I mean that is on that's what it's saying at the moment online I might do a little bit of digging onto that because I think the fact that it was nominated for an Oscar yeah, I um, thought it might get that extra push, at least get it over the 100 mark. But. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mate, should we do a bit of MVP action? Oh, yeah. Who are you going to go for? I mean, I couldn't even remember his name 10 minutes ago, but it's Colin Farrell for me. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm. You go first. Why is it Colin Farrell for you? I, I just think the the depth to his performance was unbelievable. I think his... his his emotional response, especially the point at which he breaks down when it finally hits him that he's he's murdered a child, he's killed yeah. a child, and he's really contemplating that. The outpouring of emotion in that scene is amazing and very affecting. And I think, yeah, his, there's just layers to his character that I don't think there are in any others in the movie. It's special. That is such a special performance. I think I'm going to go with Ray Fiennes as Harry. Oh, okay, okay. And I think it's because I found his character so frightening. Yeah. And he's not on screen that much, but he no. comes in like a tornado. Yeah. He just comes in and just wrecks the whole film. Not in a bad Looming. way, because like, he, he just rips it up, doesn't he? He comes in, he's just everywhere. And like you said, he's got that, You he's almost like a, a bit like a dragon in that he might just turn at any moment and just set everything on fire. You know, and I thought he just, he was just, just, what's the word? Like, yeah, it's kind of like looming, but it's like, it's almost like threatening, you know? He's just sort of really kind of ominous and like, oh, this guy's going to turn up. But he's so, his ability to flip between total rage and then quite sinister and quite dark, but then suddenly just like, oh, come on, mate pick your gun up sort of thing like, and yeah. I also think the accent is amazing as well because I mean what is it is he doing a wee or doing a poo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that got me that like how is, that is a really good scene and that, I mean that's I mean, part that, of like McDonald's like brilliance at like using that humour to draw because then after that moments later he says right you've got to kill him you know and you're yeah, like no, oh my god it's a rope-a-dope you know and he says doesn't he he says the line he, he 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 was such a nice kid. Yeah, oh god. And he just yeah. says, was. And then Brendan Gleeson's reaction in that moment of like what do you mean? 
but yeah. he knows you know he knows and and this is another thing that we didn't sort of pick up on and we should have mentioned about but the the dialogue is we spoke a little bit about this with pulp fiction but the dialogue is written in this hyper um exaggerated real life speak yeah you know every, everything is super super exaggerated to the point of sounding ludicrous to the point of sounding ridiculous i imagine the words on the page probably just looked silly but when they're played out they have this very impactful and meaningful thing and i guess that must have come from writing for the for the stage right because everything has to carry more context on the stage you know you yeah. can't do as much sort of jiggery pokery in the background you sort of gotta kind yeah, of like good chat. make it happen in front of you um fine wine and walker mate uh, I think it's it's largely a fine one. I think it's there's a bit of corkage in the fact that some of the humour, actually quite a fair bit of the humour is very 2008, you know? Isn't it? Um, yeah. I think, you know, they are supposed to be particularly sort of unpleasant characters. I get that, but I still think, yeah, there's, there's a, f- a few jokes in there that feel like ultimately they're punching down, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the, the, the brunt of most jokes are basically minorities of you know varying different backgrounds it seems to be so you know it's a fair bit of homophobia in there there's there's one joke in particular that made me wince when like colin farrell's is talking about the seesaw and he he says that the person on it's going to be a, a fat black girl for some reason and i just was like i don't know why race was even brought into this at all that kind of made me wince. Um, I wondered why that was, though. I, I was, I, I had the same reaction to that, and I had a similar reaction to the uh, character. Is it Jimmy, the the character that's the, the dwarf? When he's talking about the so, race war. Yeah, and it was kind of like, and I know what they were trying to do with that scene, right? In that he was trying to, they were trying to do that thing where you follow it to the nth degree, right? You go, okay, well, let's explore this. Yeah. Let's go super deep into this, you know? But at the same time, you were kind of like, I don't know how much we have to do this, you know? Like, you've already showed me that he's a horrible guy, you know? I'm not sure how far we have to go here. But um, but there were other there were other jokes throughout, like you like you said, that I just, I, I don't know whether it, I don't know how necessary some of it was, but then at the same time, I wonder whether he might argue, no, that was intentional. You're meant like you're yeah. meant to kind of sort of go, oh, no thanks. Like, well, these characters that? are quite unpleasant people, you know. Um, like reprehensible, they're murderers. Yeah. So it's... And, w- and then we're making judgments about their language, you know. Exactly. Which is quite just, interesting in itself. I, I guess what it is is more so, like we kind of said of Forrest Gump, I just think there are maybe a few occasions on this film where the audience are invited to laugh along with it. And I think that's probably where... That is a really good point. That That's where the issue lies, right? Um, but, you know, different... I mean, I, I know people sort of have a laugh about this, but even in that short space of time, it was different times, you know? Um so. so this is this is a fine wine, but someone's corked it a bit. So you almost need to feed it through one of those an area, one of those <laughs> yeah. area is yeah, just to make yeah, sure yeah. that you don't get too much of that in yeah. there. Um, r- right, mate, I'm I'm really eager to know what we've what we've got here, what we're dealing with on the ratings front. 
Um, and it's now become the hunt for the badge for me. Okay. Right. So, IMDB in Bruggies. <laughs> they have given in Bruggies a 7.9 out of 10. Oh, that's quite low. Like, I mean, for IMDB, that's all right. For so, yeah, I suppose we've had one that was a 7.5, didn't we? Yeah. I think they've most been around that kind of level. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh. It's got the badge, 84%. Critics score of 84%, 87% on an audience score. Oh, okay, um, cool. I'll just pick out a few of those. Wendy Eyed of the Times, Martin McDonough's affinity with meandering melodically rhythmic dialogue and volcanic eruptions of profanity serves him well in this witty wordy film um jason bailey of vice says its european setting places additional gravity on mcdonald's irish catholic notions of reckoning the knowledge that we have to pay for our sins no matter how great or small um so yeah oh, nice quite a it quite likes it on there. Um, let's have a look. See, right. So this is the one. This is the Metacritic badge. This is what you're all about, isn't it, Haynes? Lesby Avenue. No. Oh, in Bruges. Wow. No badge. Get in the Six, bin. Sixty-seven percent on Metacritic. What are these people? That is mental. Sixty-seven percent. Okay. Here we go. Anthony Lane, The New Yorker. No one wants a movie that tiptoes in step with political correctness, yet the willful opposite can be equally noxious. And as in Bruges barges and blusters its way through dwarf jokes, child abuse jokes, jokes about fat black women and mouldy old jokes about Americans, it runs the risk of pleasing itself more than paying the viewers. Do you think there's an element of not being happy about the telling the three people not to climb the tower? Potentially, potentially. Yeah. Um, the New York Post, Lou Luminick, says, as formulaic in its own way as anything mainstream Hollywood turns out. I, no, I don't agree with that. I don't that's agree with that. It's absolute that's, bollocks. That's, uh, that's absolute, if, if on the Fergie, <laughs> on the Fergie mate, that's absolute <laughs> bollocks. That's absolute bollocks. For, for anybody that doesn't know what Ben and I are doing, just type into YouTube, Alex Ferguson, absolute bollocks. That's all you need to know. <laughs> There's some more homework for you. Oh man, we almost need to make um, you know what are they, what are they call like a soundboard for people to yeah, know what the, yeah, these quotes yeah, are right. that we're doing. Mate, I'm still reeling from the fact that um, Super Mario Brothers has made 1.21 billion at the box office. 1.21 now. Well, it's going to overtake Endgame soon, right? That's mental. How much did Avengers Endgame make? Let's have a look oh at this. It's great. So it makes for great podcasts. But I don't there. understand. Like, what is it? Maybe I, I suppose I, I, I don't know whether you would listen to much of the Komodo Mayo pod recently, but Mark Komodo was saying that there's basically a massive gap in the market for films for kids, and really? they're just it's just not like there's not enough out there. So when these come along that don't even have to be amazing. I mean, I still haven't seen Two, it. So. 2.8 billion thus far for, for Endgame, so still a way to go. For yeah. Home. Well, that became a kind of like cinematic event, didn't it? It was absolutely incredible. Um, right. But this is... I wanted to ask, actually, do you think Purdy should add music for this section of, of the pod where you're about to deliver us 
the next week selection. I, I wanted to suggest Sirius by the Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> Get a bit Chicago's balls up in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like really okay. like amp it up. And now the film for next week's podcast da, da, is da, 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 da. <laughs> Shall I go? Do you wanna know? Yeah mate, I'm so keen to know. I'm gonna go with American Psycho. Wipe me dry. That is such a. I have. Oh, mate, that was on my list as well. I'm really? Okay. So, good, good, good. so glad. And like, there's that. That is. Oh man. Because do you know what I was thinking about? Like, it's a film with a lot of different themes in it that I don't think we've touched on yet. That's kind of where my head was at, and that's why I've yeah. gone to that one. That's my. Yeah. yeah. And the the was it called to be square? Yeah, hip like to be the, square. Hip to be square. That's it. And then uh, hip to be square, and the scene with the um, the scene with the business cards as well. And Jared, it's like Jared Leto, isn't it? As well, with alongside Jared Leto. him. Yeah. God, it, it, that is, mate. That is such a great shout. I can't wait. I've got a um, I've got a, I've got a couple of little trips coming up as well. I don't know whether it, whether I should watch it on a, on a phone or whether it's got to be done on the TV. Ooh, I, I think it's think a TV jobby. Maybe I, I think you can get away with it on a phone though. I do. What year is that? Two thousand. Yeah, that might be a that might hold up on the old. It might be an iPad. Meet in the middle, mate. This has okay. been such a a good fun one, and it's actually bizarrely kind of considering it's a film about purgatory and hell. It was actually quite fun and uplifting. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I think it's, so. It's really good fun. Really enjoyed it. Um where should people get in touch byob pod on instagram on tiktok if that's the kind of thing on twitter on youtube well, one of those touch base send us a question get involved yeah. tell us why we're wrong tell us why we're right tell us why we're the best film pod going um yeah please <laughs> shower us yeah. with praise and thanks for listening this has been a wicked one we'll see you all next yeah. week